Anyway, for whatever reason, the gods are like, hey, you suck. Um, <laughs> and they condemned him to an eternity of pushing a boulder up a hill. The boulder rolls down again, he pushes the boulder up a hill again. Despair is the natural response. We feel like our lives are pointless and stuff. And stuff, that's very deep. Um, however, <laughs> I always thought that was a person. When I read the notes, I thought I'm all fatty as a person. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Life is meaningless, but we can laugh in the face of that meaninglessness that's inherent mm -hmm. and then choose our own meaning that's authentic for ourselves. I love it. Jake and I have both observed before that there are lots of adages for living your life that we all kind of rationally know and have done for many, many years, but you don't truly understand them until you make your own mistakes. Partying, alcohol, and drugs aren't really a way to find true happiness. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> for a brief moment in time. You should do something that makes you happy rather than something that necessarily earns tons of money, although you want to compromise between the two in, in practical terms. You shouldn't rush to move in or marry a partner. Take your time. And actually, sometimes going through some heartbreak in your life is no bad thing. It's part of learning a lot about yourself. All these are things that suddenly sound more familiar and concrete once you've gone ahead and made those mistakes for yourself, even though you've heard it before. There's like such a difference between sort of knowledge in theory and knowledge you experience, right? There's exactly. something about that. Exactly. However, the beauty of literature and cinema is to make people feel something without necessarily having lived it. To truly grasp it in that same way that the lived experience can allow us to. This episode is going to be about the concept of absurdity, its place in finding meaning within your life, and how the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once seems to explain exactly how I personally, and Jake as well, feels mm. about this concept and how we approach meaning within our own lives. Like you just said, it brings to life concepts in not just sort of visually, but like emotionally makes yeah. you sort like, of... Oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you sort of feel this in a way that you're right. Cinema, literature, art has the power to, mm. to bring these things to life in a way that otherwise it's a bit academic. That's the beauty, to make you realize that you're learning something without making you, you know, try. Hello, welcome to season three of the Morality of Everyday Things. Yes, I'm welcome back. I'm Jake. Nice to, uh, ni well, we can't hear you. But yes. <laughs> hopefully it's nice for you to hear us again. If you speak out loud on your commuting train right now, we will hear you. I think calling it season three is quite cheeky because it was more like there wasn't really a season structure before. And then we decided we we're going to do seasons of about eight to 10 episodes. Yeah. And this is really the second season after a prolonged season one of every other episode. But season one was sort of 50 episodes long. And yes, then we were exactly. like, actually, seasons is a good idea. As mentioned, today we'll be discussing the philosophical concept of absurdity and particularly with reference to everything everywhere all at once. For those who don't know, it is a multi-Oscar winning film. By the time this comes out, I mean, that will be comfortably in the last Oscar season year. Mm -hmm. So it must have come out in 2022? Yeah, if I recall correctly, it came out at the end of 2022, but won the Oscars for 2022 that happened in, in sort of, yeah, the Q1 2023. Yep. It is a bit of a surrealist sci-fi romp through a multiverse <laughs> fictional setup. Um, it's fantastically referential as well. I mean, it has, pays a lot of different... Sort homage homage exactly to like the matrix and all other sort of yes i, I, I mean actually the, the works of the genre the lead female actress was in crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah. so there's some of those kind of uh, tarantino-esque callbacks to that as well it's actually really theatrically and cinematically very well done it's visually so pleasing as well yes so we'll be discussing that but generally this is a podcast about philosophy everyday decision making to some extent but how to think about philosophy in your everyday life everyday problems that you may encounter and as you may get from the this somewhat I don't want to say new format, but we'll also be sometimes looking at cultural moments and how they relate to philosophy. And this is a perfect one because really I watched that movie and I thought this is the best encapsulation of this philosophical concept that I have actually seen today. It reminds me of much how I felt when I watched The Matrix for the first time. It's a parallel with The Matrix to the brain and the vats thought experiment. Yeah, that's actually a, probably a viable episode in itself. <laughs> it probably is, and it's probably something everyone's quite familiar with, but that really brings that kind of Descartian 
con- is it Cartesian actually? Yes, that's, that's yeah, yeah Cartesian, yeah. Concept to life uh, yeah. in a way that's sort of at once much more entertaining and yep. much more yeah, relatable. Yeah. This did a very similar thing for Guys, us with the absurd. This has made me realize that there's going to, in this season, have to be an episode on solipsism and the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back to topic. As we mentioned today, we'll be discussing the absurd. Obviously, a very core point to begin with. What is absurdism and what are the core points it's making? And I think we'll kind of talk a little bit of kind of logical flow as to where this comes from, innate things and historical thought. And then we'll compare it to some of the different strains of thought around meaning and life. And ultimately, we'll bring this back to the movie and how the movie relates to this. So first of all, what is absurdism? I'm going to start with a couple steps. And I think the first thing I'm going to put out there, which I think a lot of people relate with, is that we as humans have a pretty innate drive for meaning. Most humans throughout history crafted creation myths and ultimately entire religions, which described metaphysical values to our existence and our actions. God made us in his image because he loves us and is infinitely powerful. Our job is to live good lives in service of God to achieve that metaphysical reward heaven. Interesting fact for you, metaphysical, it comes from uh, classical Greek philosophy. It was actually the chapter after physics in uh, one of Aristotle's (laughs) books. So it was just this chapter, physics. Next chapter, metaphysics, which is basically Greek for after physics. Yeah, it's like beyond, right? Yeah, exactly. And actually, when you think about metaphysical concepts, so things like, in this case, heaven or objective realities that aren't in our physical reality, that's what metaphysical means. It means after the literal real world that we live in. So it would be, you know, discussion of concepts like, oh, there's some pure, correct form of morality that exists outside of the practical of how the world works. Or, you know, the idea of like heaven, which exists outside of the physical world that we inhabit now. So back on the sort of theme of the absurd, you were saying people have these creation myths, God and everything, because it's satisfies an innate drive for meaning. Is it fair to also say it's not just meaning, but also a kind of desire for order and rationality? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and this sort of coherence. Is that another way of saying that, like, when we say meaning, we mean meaning with the big M? So I'm not Ooh. saying, I know, I know. <laughs> what, what, Mr. I mean, meaning to you. Yeah. <laughs> By which I mean, like, it's not just meaning in the sense of, like, oh, what, what is my purpose? But, like, there is a reason that humans were created. There's a reason why yeah. why suffering exists. There's a reason why joy exists. There's a right? kind of implied cause and effect that sort of ties it all together. Exactly. So, yeah, meaning, meaning and rationality and all of that is kind of yeah. in one concept. Yeah. So I'm the important you. part then, I mean, very simply, would be, you know, to say... There's a history of thought between human innate desire for meaning and Camus. But we'll jump in with Camus for a second. Mm -hmm. Camus was a French philosopher of Algerian origin. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, it's interesting. He's one of those great philosophers who actually, although he did, you know, speak a lot and write a lot of great essays, primarily transposed his philosophy through actual fictional literature. So Jake has a a great personal story of reading one of his books and and, like living it as a nightmare (laughs) sequentially for many (laughs) nights. Oh my God. Yeah, that's true. I forgot about that. That was, um, I think that was The Plague. Yeah. La Peste. Um, this is kind of weird and dark and, and tangential. I was reading that because that summer I'd been backpacking around Germany and I'd been to a couple of the concentration camps. It's not exactly this, but it is kind of allegorical of what happened during World War Two with the rounding up of uh, well, Jews actually, and other it, it was it it's, was. Um, I think the the most typical interpretation of the book is that it is a metaphor for the Nazi invasion of Germany. Right, uh, of Germany of Poland. Uh, France, sorry, France, right. <laughs> sorry, he's, 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 Camus, French, Algerian. Right, right, right. Anyway, yeah, I, I'd gone to these concentration camps. I was reading the plague and I. Had had this nightmare the first night I was reading it. I read it just before I went to bed. I had this nightmare about being rounded up by the Nazis, like discovered in like a hiding place. And I was like, oh, that was a bit grim. Read it the next night and the nightmare recurred. And this time I got like put on a train to a concentration camp. Each night it kind of like sort of sequentially put me further and further along the process. So as I, I the last night I was like, fuck, I just need to finish this book. This is horrible. I need to get this done. It's weird. I've never had an experience like that yep. uh, all the time in my life. But. So in Camus' case, the one that relates to absurdism more would be the book, The Myth of Sisyphus. Yes. And he's also got The Stranger and the Rebel, but that pretty much was his complete canon, right? Because he, he died quite ones. young. He died he at like 46 in a car crash. He, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize mm. that. 
But yes, he did die quite young. Uh, did he win a Nobel Prize? I cannot recall. Let's quickly ask ChatGPT. Uh, ChatGPT, did he win a Nobel Prize? But um, in comes Camus and the other absurdist thinkers who would be uh, contemporary French thinkers largely. The two most famous would be Camus and Sartre. Mm -hmm. um, you can you can very easily read a little bit about them. Yeah, he and, won the Nobel Prize for literature. Sorry, just don't yeah, try Well done yeah. to him. Before or after he died? He won it in Well, it doesn't matter. Life has no meaning anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to satisfy your desire for meaning and order. Um, but he uses the myth of Sisyphus to highlight his point around the meaning of life, which I'll build on a little bit. Oh, he was alive for it. That's oh, cool. good for him. Um, so the myth of Sisyphus, uh, it comes from ancient Greece. And I believe Sisyphus stole fire from the gods and gave it to man was that yeah he was definitely being punished for something I, I, I don't know that was prometheus wasn't it he maybe was and then fire. it's slightly different uh, punishment yeah anyway for whatever reason the gods are like hey you suck um <laughs> and they condemned him to an eternity of pushing a boulder up a hill the boulder rolls down again he pushes the boulder up a hill again okay Camus uses this story as a metaphor to explain to us that life has no inherent meaning the universe is totally indifferent to human principles and desires we suffer and we struggle and in reality, it's all for nothing and will amount to nothing. We imagine the world kind of exists to serve humans. That's why we create these creation myths like God who loves us, mm -hmm. who creates the world for us, creates the Garden of Eden for us. Um, anything can be justified by concepts of the good, you know, hey, we need to go and do a crusade against these people who believe other things, you know, mm. because it's, it's all for something. But perhaps really the sad truth is that, or well, we'll discuss whether it's sad, that's the point of this, mm -hmm. is that we're simply little bits of dust in a very narrow band of time the same way that we watch ants build anthills and think how charmingly pointless their existence is we kind of build our own anthills that's what you should call your home yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's important to remember like if you think about this we think about how driven we're by morality for the vast majority of time we're talking billions of years the universe existed without humans and it's quite likely that at some point humans will cease to exist and the universe will continue to exist for a very very long time do you reckon the dinosaurs had a concept of morality? I mean, this oh, is it. obviously. We, we... <laughs> but it, you're absolutely right. It's the famous visual representation is that if life on Earth was represented as a 24-hour clock, humans have been around for like the last 10 minutes, five yeah, minutes. So and, and industrial, less. like, you know, the industrialization modern era has been less than a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the majority of human time has even been us basically not being much different to how we look at animals like, oh, you, you ignorant brute. It kind of gives you this feeling, this sense that everything that we do to further peace and end suffering, it kind of ultimately doesn't matter in some long-term sense. Everything will die. It will all be for no reason. And this brings us to the allegory you can of, say, the of, Sisyphus, of the myth yeah. of Sisyphus. We're just pushing boulders up hills for them to roll back down again. And this all sounds pretty depressing and very nihilistic. Mm. And in a way it is. But, and this is the interesting part, this is how it relates to the film. Prepare yourself, guys. It sounded a little depressing, but it's about to be uplifting. Camus comes to a very different conclusion from this starting point versus traditional nihilism, which mm. would be the position that things simply have no meaning. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So it's probably worth at this point contrasting the two, although I would say just to kind of zoom out, both schools of thought rest on this belief or premise, if you will, that mm. life has no inherent meaning. Camus comes along at a point in time where faith in religion is declining. We've lived through world wars. Yes. There's a sort of moment where people are like, actually, is life sort of fundamentally pointless? And, and nihilism and absurdism, and I suppose existentialism, all embrace this kind of concept of mm. life is pointless, but humans have a drive for meaning. And how do you square those two? Is that a fair summary? of? I'd say so. So actually, ooh, I would say 
I believe nihilism and absurdism are subcategories of, of existentialism, existentialism. Yeah. which is like why do things exist? What is existence? Yeah. Nihilism and absurdism, the relationship between them is that they have this similar premise. The but world they draw different conclusions. Yes. The premise is that the world is inherently meaningless, but absurdism comes to a very different outcome. The difference between nihilism and absurdism is that nihilism would posit that there is no meaning to the extent that to even search for meaning in absence of a provided or inherent one is a pointless endeavor. Mm -hmm. So meaningless, there is no meaning in searching for meaning, right? <laughs> it's really um, cheerful. And so absurdism comes to a very different conclusion. But quickly, I want to stop off in a kind of time gap in between. We have nihilism. There is no meaning. There's no point in searching for meaning. We have this intermediary point that we're going to discuss, and then we get to absurdism. The intermediary point relates to quite a famous philosopher who influenced Camus, and more widely on, you know, had his own position on how to embrace the meaninglessness of life, and that's Nietzsche. We have previously discussed his quote, God is dead and we have killed him. Yeah, that's and, iconic, isn't yes. it? Yes, and Jake, you just referenced that. Mm -hmm. And I think one thing that we should really make clear about that is that it's not, as some people superficially might think, some boisterous or proud claim from some, like, defiant atheist. It's not, you know, Richard Dawkins' tattoo on his chest. <laughs> it um, sounds celebratory, though, doesn't it? It does sound it does, like it a does. guy being like, ah, we have triumphed yeah. over Yeah, but it's actually alliteration. It's a sad realization that we've lost the ability to use God as a comforting source of meaning in an increasingly rationalist, empiricist world. So there's this intermediary step, because he introduces this as a philosophical concept, but he has his own approach to how we then avoid simply collapsing into nihilism, where nothing matters, maybe I should do whatever I want and nothing has meaning, so it doesn't matter, and that mm -hmm. could be a great justification for doing terrible things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we will explain how this is the case, but Camus ultimately bases a lot of his onward philosophy from the inherent meaninglessness of life on the power of our agency and the power to live authentically. It's about kind of, to paraphrase it brutally in, in the context of the modern day, Camus kind of like, live your best life. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Whereas... I know, I know, which sounds terribly live, laugh, love. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? I love Camus' philosophy. I yeah. think there's something really nice about the way he expresses oh, it. And it's, it's, totally, it's totally beautiful. It's eloquent. Um, yeah. Nietzsche, I suppose by contrast, is doing, he's a little bit more like the Stoics. Yes, he's a little more classical stoic in that he kind of comes to this concept of loving their fate he describes it as amor fati so you can kind of see how there's like i always thought that was a person when i no. read the notes i thought amor fati was a person <laughs> i love that um, so you kind of have this there's nothing everything's meaningless whatever you have on the other end like we'll come to it later and explain it but absurdism is like you define your meaning you find your meaning this all comes from you living your authentic self live laugh love and then in the middle you have this step that took us there which is Nietzsche saying, you know what, maybe we have no power, but you can still embrace and love that fate, mm -hmm. right? And so he has quite a long quote, and it was like many of his quotes, you have to kind of reread it two or three times and think about it. But his quote goes, my can, you, formula... can you do it in your best German accent? Mein Formula von Gretner. <laughs> oh, I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> Don't chase me. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go with gravitas now. We'll go, yeah. yeah. My formula for greatness in a human being is amorphati, that one wants nothing to be different, not forward, not backward, not in all eternity. Not merely bear what is necessary, still less conceal it. All idealism is mendacity in the face of what is necessary, but love it. Jesus. I mean, even, <laughs> even with the punctuation in front of me, that's confusing. <laughs> It's, it's honestly, I don't, know, I don't know what you guys are going to make. This is out. probably why you listen to a podcast where we break these things down, right? Basically, what Nietzsche is saying is that the greatest people are those who can love their fate, who can accept that what comes is part of what is destined for them, mm -hmm. even the parts that are difficult or painful. He argues mm. that we should not try to change the past or the future, but accept everything that has happened and will happen. So that kind of sounds like it's removing our agency. That's the difference between his kind of amor fati and absurdism. Fate is a key word there, isn't it? Because exactly. that would be a fate key implies no agency. It does, right? right? It's kind of like you are a pawn in a bigger game of chess and you just have to enjoy being a yep. pawn and maybe you get promoted to a queen and yes. that's all good and maybe you get taken in that shit, but you don't really have 
have no exactly, any power. exactly. And I think also when you're hearing this a little bit, some of the takeaways are accept the past, don't dwell on the past. Mm -hmm. You can use it as a learning experience, but that's it. Embrace the present. Don't worry about the future or past. Accept them as things that will come and things that have happened mm -hmm. uh, and live in the present moment. And then find meaning in your suffering. Uh, don't let your pain define you. Accept that it's part of the human experience and use it as an opportunity to grow and learn. It won't be surprising in that context to understand that Nietzsche is the person who describing this coined the phrase what doesn't kill you makes you stronger mm, right which is yeah a yeah. very iconic quote again yeah. and really so nice. importantly it's not about being happy all the time it's about accepting that life is full of both good and bad and finding meaning in all of it right mm -hmm. so there's there is this sense of agency but the agency is constrained to choosing to accept your fate yeah right? there's a really nice quote i heard that relates to this actually which i got out of ted lasso Oh, <laughs> but they, uh, another famous philosopher in the <laughs> yeah. French uh, existential school. The quote was along the lines of basically you've got someone suffering from the closure of their business and, and she's really upset and she's talking to this pub landlady who's owned her pub for 40 years. Mm -hmm. She's kind of going through one of these moments where she's like, God, is it all just shit basically? And she's like, don't worry, love. Shit makes things grow. <laughs> and there's actually something quite so oh, pleasing about like, it's and a kind of like find meaning in suffering because actually, you know, in yeah. the hard times, uh, good things are forged. Live, laugh, love. So we can see how this acceptance of faith in a very classical i say this is classical let me just find you the name it's because this reminds me of the teachings of a philosopher called wait for it chrysippus and early stoics and his whole thing is very much like a good stoic like learns to accept fate and you know if, if things don't happen your way you're you're pursuing the wrong fate which is kind of a, a weird <laughs> paradoxical argument. Mm. But you can tell Nietzsche was a teacher of classical Greek philosophy, was a big fan of Heraclitus and people like this, mm -hmm. like more niche Greek philosophers by modern standards. So it's not a surprise that he kind of has this explanation that's very reminiscent of that view. There's something I picked up actually from Philosophize This, which is a worthwhile podcast to mm. shout out if you've enjoyed what we do. But in that, he goes through introductions to various philosophers throughout history. And he originally did it chronologically. He's jumping around more now, but there was something quite nice about like in the Nietzsche episode picking up what you just mentioned that you yep. can kind of see how schools of thought have influenced each other over time it's nice yes, which nice to quite, place those in context nice to think about this kind of like compounding of human knowledge over time right? it is yeah yeah exactly um, so this is the intermediary step that had a huge influence on camus but let's focus on one of camus most famous quotes to help kind of create the basis for absurdism versus this amorphity loving your fate mm -hmm. which really focuses again more on agency right Get a beautiful quote but a much more understandable quote from him okay <laughs> go camus in a universe suddenly divested of illusions and lights, man feels his nakedness. His finitude is revealed in all its truth. There is no escape. His only way is to laugh. And that last bit is the really important bit. His only way is to laugh. I'm sure we're going to bring this up later, but that immediately takes me back to the last line of the myth of Sisyphus. Yes, the, we absolutely the will. That's a really hard thing to say. The myth of Sisyphus. <laughs> <laughs> you have a list of the worst <laughs> The emperor in the last I'll be reading Brian, Albu, so. Albert Camus, uh, myth of <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sorry if you have a lisp. Um, we don't mean to be insensitive. We don't. Or um, do we? <laughs> the only way is to laugh, my yeah. friend. <laughs> the only way is exactly. <laughs> Amorphity, accept your fate. All suffering really is building strength of character. But I think the important part with that, his only way is to laugh. Camus is saying that when we realize that life is ultimately meaningless, we can either despair or laugh. So, you know, you're challenged with the approach of nihilism, right? Mm. Or you can laugh. Despair is the natural response. We feel like our lives are pointless and stuff and stuff. That's very deep. Um, however, <laughs> Whoa, man, profound. <laughs> I think that the important part is that Camus argues we can choose to laugh. And that imperative also helps to explain that part of agency. We choose to laugh. Yeah, this was the distinction we were drawing earlier with Nietzsche. It's uh, the amorphity concept seems to be implying the influence yeah. of fate and you're kind of powerless. And Camus is really contrasted with that here, right? He's, yeah. he's saying there is choice, there is agency, and that's fairly critical. To exactly. The Laughing at the absurdity of life is a way of accepting it and finding your own meaning in it, even though we know it's ultimately meaningless. 
Once we can laugh, we can start to choose the things that have meaning to us. We should follow our own most authentic selves. Mm. Uh, again, to quote him, the absurd man says yes, and his whole being cries out for that yes, or for the yes. Mm -hmm. And, Jager, I'll, I'll let you do this one, mm -hmm. as he puts it at much greater length in the myth of Sisyphus. Mm -hmm. Shall I do French? I leave Sisyphus. <laughs> I went. We'll go for gravitas again. I leave Sisyphus at the foot of the mountain. One always finds one's burden again. But Sisyphus teaches the higher fidelity that negates the gods and raises rocks. He too concludes that all is well. This universe henceforth without a master seems to him neither sterile nor futile. Each atom of that stone, each mineral flake of that night-filled mountain, in itself forms a world. The struggle itself towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. Let's break down some of that really quickly. This isn't the notes, but let's do it anyway. I think one of the most important parts is Sisyphus teaches the higher fidelity that negates the gods and raises rocks. The point there is that he's saying something about the, the defiance of the fact that he's been given this task that is supposed to be miserable, mm -hmm. right? And saying, you know, laughing in the face of that and saying that he can find this higher fidelity or that he has found it and is able to teach it that actually cancels out this this punishment that he's been given it's kind of this idea that like existence in some sense is a burden that mm. we've all been given and the acceptance of that meaninglessness is hard i've actually never thought this but i just had a sort of weird like meta moment where i was like a weird thing with the sisyphus analogy is that there actually is a purpose to his thing because it is a punishment right which is do you know what i mean so suddenly it was like hang on a second because yeah, obviously true. the point it's making is that you know life is inherently meaningless and there was no purpose but but, but, but that's that's what i'm saying we're like in some sense it's not that someone there is purpose because he's being punished and we're mm -hmm. not but it's similar in that maybe it's a burden it's a negative thing that you're being and it's, given. it's certainly easy to look at life and see it in that yep. view i get that yeah but he can kind of invest it with its own meaning. He can laugh in the face of that absurdism mm -hmm. and create meaning. He says, each atom that's doing each mineral itself forms a world. The struggle itself towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. So he's basically saying this task, this journey is enough for him to find joy. So even if his task is ultimately futile, he can choose to invest himself in the process of pushing that rock, knowing his boulder, how and where it rolls, improving himself in this endeavor and finding his own meaning. And so I think one thing that's interesting about this is that Many of you who listen may well go to the gym, right? Here's a little, uh, like a segue analogy. Ultimately, and here are some pro tips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, step one, eat lots of protein. No, um, ultimately, and everyone knows this, your body will wither and you will die. Oh right? my God. Uh, that's guaranteed. And yet we go to the gym. We maintain our bodies in the meantime. Maybe we even improve them. And even at the point, you know, there's, there's maybe this sense of like, I want to get the best body, you know, that I can. But then even when you start to decline, you know, you hit your 30s, 40s, 50s, mm -hmm. people still do this. They still try and improve their form, right? Well, it's quite fun because I've got, you've got in the notes here, like the chain of whys that almost recalls like a child asking exactly. like it's, why. That's and, it. And that's part of the absurdist approach to life. Right? Should we go through them? Yeah. And so, I mean, why do you go to the gym? To find a mate. Is, that... <laughs> <laughs> Is everything okay? <laughs> but why do you want to find a mate? Uh, well, generally it's to get, you know, to get married and procreate. And why do you want to do that? And the point is that if you ask this why enough times, you will always get to the same end point. To populate the anthill. <laughs> <laughs> it ultimately comes to a point where you have to accept that there is no reason. It, it's mm. just because. It's, I'm entertaining myself between the period of, of my, the non-existence before my existence and the non-existence after my existence. Mm -hmm. There is no inherent meaning. But I have chosen, this is one of the things that makes me happy, and it's true to myself. This is probably the wrong question to ask here, so we can come back to it. What does being true to oneself mean in a philosophical sense? Oh man, that's like a whole episode in itself. Does right? Camus yeah. prescribe anything, or is that... I didn't do enough research to say anything authoritative. We can, we can cut but that, we will, it doesn't fit. It's worth not cutting, because what is being true to yourself could be a whole episode in itself, because mm -hmm. there's so many different approaches to that, right? You know, we can extend this analogy beyond fitness and the gym, and we see that pretty clearly, 
the whole book of the myth of Sisyphus is a metaphor for life more widely. Mm -hmm. uh, and life, of course, is much more rich and novel and allows us to find many more interesting things than simply pushing a rock or even our bodies. More interesting than pushing a rock up a hill or more interesting than trying to you know, develop our bodies. Things to invest our energies into. And again, there's agency because it's about choosing what you invest in to create meaning in your life. Mm. Sisyphus must have been dense, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it must have been in great shape. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting as well about this conception versus some other conceptions um, is, again, we talked a little bit about religion, right? Mm. And we talked about how religion, it's with sadness that we mourn the loss of religion as a source of meaning, right? I think similarly, you could say that some people can find happiness simply by living an unobserved or unconsidered life. Mm -hmm. And they simply never ask that chain of whys far enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And they ask three or four levels deep and it's like, well, this is why I'm doing stuff. This is uh, it's because I love the, these people close to me and I never ask the why to that and so on. You know? and, and it's interesting, actually, sorry to, to butt in go, a little go, bit go. there, but you do often see people who who will kind of is this the naturalistic fallacy? Maybe that's the wrong term, but they'll kind of hit the point where it's like, well, humans have a biological purpose to procreate and they're like, cool, that's, nice, you know, that's done. the level they get to. And it's amazing yeah. how common that is. You can kind of explain things with a like um, mm. sort of human primitive tribal explanation exactly. and people kind of get to that level and exactly. stop but for Camus you can get to the end of that chain you don't need to stop at the point that you're describing you can keep going you can see that it goes nowhere mm -hmm. and yet you can still kind of enjoy the reasons that you've had along the way and pick that course of action even though at the end there you know the why is ultimately meaningless perhaps by realizing that the end is ultimately meaningless it can even help us weed out some of the things that aren't true to ourselves that shouldn't matter you know sometimes it's useful to remember that life is ultimately meaningless to realize that there's some shit you shouldn't put up with right mm -hmm. so maybe sometimes remind, remembering that life is meaningless and brief is a good reason to remind you not to take shit from some boss that you're not interested in, all right? Except or, for you guys who work at Stash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, keep taking that. Or, you know, another example would be, you know, again, this is all about being true to yourself, staying in a relationship that maybe doesn't make you happy. These mm -hmm. are all good examples where there's a great thought experiment, again, from Nietzsche, but like I said, heavily influential in this conception of inexistential thought, where he describes, and actually, again, this is actually from classical stoicism it's amazing how much ancient greek thought affects modern thought it's this conception of the eternal recurrence right and mm -hmm. it's a thought experiment that basically says imagine that the way you live your life mm. right is infinite the mm -hmm. way you live your life you're going to have to relive over and over again mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and in that context how do you feel about the actions you're taking the actions you're taking have more infinite like much larger costs than you realize right yeah and suddenly things like working in a job you don't like or being in a relationship you don't like that kind of changes the balance there right the idea being you'd replay it so you'd be going sure. you don't mean infinitely in the sense that you're just getting very 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 old no 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 you i mean, mean it will replay. you live your life it's, and it replays it, hence and it eternal replays. recurrence yes right? yes i thought you meant um, that yeah that and i don't be, think it would be that's freaky yeah yeah because <laughs> there's definitely times you're like god if i look back on my life i mean childhood was pretty good but there's definitely yeah. points you're like oh i really wouldn't want to live that again exactly and, exactly and it's that kind of approach that makes you think oh wow like in that context i should probably change some things mm. and likewise it's this understanding of the inherent meaningless and our choice to invest meaning in things that makes it easier to let go of you know some things that we feel constrained to or, or obliged mm. to and that's kind of the beauty of absurdism more generally and so the whole thing to like, put it in a nice package is life is meaningless but we can laugh in the face of that meaninglessness that's inherent mm -hmm. and then choose our own meaning that's authentic to ourselves i love it can i ask you a question at this point no <laughs> uh, do you totally believe the premise is true and the reason i ask that because that might sound like a stupid question no 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 is we started by saying there was a theological moment, there was a context of like people mm. were losing faith in religion and that. Well, we, we started a, even before that by saying we, we have an innate desire for meaning. We do, that's true, yeah. because you can go back to like early tribal humans and they passed around totems and clearly told stories about spirits and stuff and, mm -hmm. and tried to explain things. And then you've got the rise of religion and now 
relatively, I think it's empirically true to say religion is on the decline and, you know, more and more people are then confronted with this question, how do you explain life and its purpose mm -hmm. when there isn't religion? But between that and the absurd, and maybe this is kind of where Nietzsche falls too, you have sort of popular things like life is a game, life is a test, but there's maybe a sort of agnostic sense of purpose mm -hmm. there. Is it underpinned by some metaphysical? Possibly, yeah. Maybe agnostic is the way to describe that because it's the same as people who don't necessarily believe in God as like prescribed by the Christian God or, or right, religion, but, still but in they have some yeah, some spiritual sense of like a higher power. Well, in that sense, even if it's not literally prescribed in the same way, it's effectively the same thing, right? I suppose. But I, so. I think I think it's legitimate to say, look, like. There's an assumption here. I am personally of the inclination that it's obvious to me, but I know people who feel the opposite. I have someone in mind, what you're saying, actually. There are many people who, who are like, oh, you know, I, I don't agree with whatever conventional religious upbringing I had before, but I do still retain some sense of meaning inherent in life and people. I guess the difficult thing is that it kind of becomes a burden of proof question, right? Where it's like, well, mm. why and how? Hey, maybe that's true. Maybe the way that you logically attack this question is you attack that premise. But I guess you need a more convincing argument rather than saying like, well, we can quite clearly see that there is no inherent meaning. When you say that there is a thing, you kind of need to make an argument for it rather than me explaining something against it. I hear you. And to be fair, I'm not attacking it because personally, I completely think that is the case. I would take it to be true. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate by saying is the evidence for the mm. meaninglessness of life is rather yeah. a lack of evidence for, for that being one. inherent yep. meaning, right? Yep, 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 yep. And I guess is that, is that fair to say or is that? Is that I think so. Challenge? I think so. I, I mean, it's burden of proof, right? Yeah. The absence of, uh, of evidence proof. isn't evidence of absence or does that completely disprove it? Uh, no, well, absence of evidence isn't evidence of absence also isn't a reason that you should just accept every argument, mm -hmm. right? Absence of evidence is more like... I mean, that kind of... Sorry, that, I've, I've like, thrown you with that, with that phrase, but that... No, no, that, I'm just trying to think of an analogy for that. That, I mean, that would maybe describe the absence okay. of evidence for so, the meaning of life. No, no, doesn't absence, necessarily absence, mean there is no meaning of life, but the burden of proof yeah. would reverse yeah, yeah. that. And yeah, say, yeah. You know. So absence of evidence is more like, just because there aren't studies that, I don't know, Coke is unhealthy for you, you know, <laughs> in whatever year it was that that, that, that that was true, doesn't mean Coke is healthy for you, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? That's what that means. In mm -hmm. this context, yeah, because of the burden of proof, you know, if you're positing something, so you, you can put the same with Coke, right? If the given position was like Coke is a normal drink and I was like, oh, Coke's actually unhealthy, the burden would be on me mm -hmm. to prove that to be the case. Nice. Is that true? Um, well, I mean, you would just be like, we don't know if Coke is healthy or unhealthy. And I, if, if I'm taking a stand and I'm like, oh no, this is the case. And I'd say there is no meaning is kind of tantamount to like, well, we, you know, there is no prescribed clear one, right? Yeah. Cause but maybe there is a little yeah. more, but no proof concrete to say there is no meaning. Burden of proof doesn't mean the opposite is true either, does it? Burden of proof just sort of basically says if you are making an assertion, you need to be the one backing it up. That was the Russell's teapot thing, if I remember yep. correctly. He yeah, said, yeah. if you want to claim that there's a teapot floating around the rings of Saturn, it's on you, you to need prove to, it rather it's on you to, to prove, prove it. it. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, obviously, this is a bigger question than the teapot. It's a valid point, though. Like One way of disagreeing with this argument is simply to say, I don't accept the premise that life is inherently meaningless. Many people will take that as self-evident, and in an increasingly rationalist and empiricist world, the whole concept of the burden of proof. Older religious approaches would be like, no, it's a matter of faith, and I have faith. So that is a valid way of disagreeing with it. Let's bring this all back to everything, everywhere, all at once. So we discussed like the ability for art to make us understand something without having lived it, right? Mm -hmm. And likewise, it can highlight philosophical points like this by portraying it clearly for us. Like in my life, I haven't seen many clearer. Matrix and Joan of Art is a good example of this, but you know, for this specific one, I haven't found a better pop culture explanation and distillation of the intended feeling that this philosophical thought is supposed to give you. You know, we mentioned that the beauty of art helps you think and feel. Um, and I think the beautiful symbology of this film does achieve this making you understand absurdism 100%. in a more you know, like 
emotional way. I'd really agree that. And actually, that just gives me an idea. I mean, I do think it'd be so fun at some point in time to like take philosophical concepts and turn them into like short stories. I feel like there's yeah. actually oh, so, yeah, much, yeah. No, absolutely. so much potential. For that, I mean, that's, but... that's, that's the crux of many great yeah. pieces of literature, right? Because those are two film examples, as you mentioned, that have, that have done this particularly well. And there yeah. must be many more. But um... Yeah, they're great films in their own way. And they probably, the point I'm trying to make is like, if you take someone who's watched that film and then explain absurdism to them, They'll be like, oh, yes, that mm. makes it like, yeah, like, of course, this is something I've experienced by watching this thing. Um, the Matrix is a funny example of that because solipsism you could ask people about and they're like, what? And then you say the Matrix and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's the only thing that, you know, when you consider the, the end of the Matrix, what's the only thing that Neo can be sure of is real? And it's like, well, he doesn't know the world around him is real, but he knows he's real. Mm. And that's basically the point of solipsism. Sorry, we've ruined that episode now. Um, <laughs> anyway, think speaking of ruining things, we don't want to ruin too much of this film. So this is not a plot spoiler, but it may make the film feel less impactful. So you can take the point of what we said so far go and watch the film see how it relates and then you know return and listen to the end or skip the end of this podcast but do leave a review if you're going to do that okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> like i said the film is about you know multiverse hopping around and one of the universes where the characters can visit is one where life failed to come to fruition right and so the characters are just rocks who talk via subtitles on the screen I mean, the subtitles are just fantastic i mean yeah. there's there's a moment i remember where is there's a rock and it just is like ha 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 yeah <laughs> and it, uh, yeah it's, it's really, it's like, what are we doing here it's like this is a universe where life failed to yeah it's very good so this first scene right it's solemn it's sad it's nihilistic what better image of nihilism could there possibly be than a universe where life doesn't even exist and the soundtrack is just like wind it's just yep. like quiet wind like that's it that's it well, that was really nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and after some struggle in the film and, you know, character development and whatever, and more universe hopping, eventually the characters return to this universe. Again as rocks in this barren, like, you know, it looks a bit like the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. right? But this time, one of the characters embodying one of the rocks, who has at this point embraced a sort of absurdist approach to the meaninglessness of the multiverse setup, turns and has googly eyes on it. Mm. Uh, and these googly eyes are kind of a recurring symbol of absurdity of love and of joy and of laughing in the face of meaninglessness. It is. It's that kind of like finding happiness even in the sort of like misery of taxes and dry cleaning. And, that's it. You know. That's it. That's. A, I mean, it's a fantastic symbol. And this rock then teases and chases the other. And it's a perfect visual metaphor for the idea of laughing in the face of meaninglessness and choosing to find meaning in love joy relationships we build and ultimately i don't think it's a coincidence that these rocks kind of chase each other up a mountain and roll down and suitably end just like sisyphus's boulder does every day at the foot of the mountain and we can only imagine that they are happy oh i know what a nice ending what a scripted. i know i know so guys i mean i feel like that kind of summarizes it it's um, maybe worth just adding because you said the beginning bit was nihilistic but i think that's kind of again without putting too much spoiler that those are the sort of themes at play with the two characters who are embodying exactly. the rocks you've kind of got the nihilist and then the person who's like discovering it who ends up sort of as you say embracing the exactly. absurd approach and this is ex it's honestly like exactly that's it one of the characters represents nihilism one of the characters experiences the same premise and comes to this different conclusion that you can find your meaning mm -hmm. within a universe that is inherently non-meaningful and that's kind of like a, a story about life well guys that was an interesting philosophical episode if you enjoyed it please do let us know if you'd like us to i think we will do more of these kind of intro to concept things and we'll try and relate it to pop culture where possible but if mm -hmm. not you know we may do them in their own right uh, we mentioned that we may well do one on solipsism and the matrix but yeah let us know how you enjoyed that please do leave a review on spotify yeah, please <laughs> now back to back, back to real life and the things that we want okay um this is how we find yeah. our meaning guys yeah ultimately you know the universe will uh explode into i don't know mega heat death or whatever it's called but in the meantime <laughs> reviews on spotify and apple really do mean a lot to us that's so, right they do they make us happy uh yeah they help that, us laugh that, in the face of 
absurdity. Exactly. But that fleeting period of existence between non-existence and non-existence. Uh, thanks, guys. Have a good evening. Good day. Whatever time you listen to this. Enjoy your day at work. Hey, there's meaning. Push that boulder. <laughs> See <laughs> Thank ya. Thank you, guys. See you next time.